Hey, founders, welcome to the Gab Lab. This is a show designed to provide you with financial intelligence that will blow your mind, but more importantly, it's going to build your bottom line. So my name's Tony Woods Richardson. I am the show host. Actually, today I'm the guest. I'm the Nail the Numbers Pro because we're doing things a little differently today. Our episode champion, Community Futures Parkland, wanted me to weigh in on pricing, pricing that packs a punch. So I turned to my partner in crime, none other than Andrea Lutz, to help me today with the interview process. Good morning, Andrea. Good morning, Tanya. And I'm so honored that you asked me to do this. I, um, I'm also an entrepreneur from rural Saskatchewan. I'm the founder of my company, and um, it's been a road. I've been in business for over six years now. And actually, a couple of years ago is when we met because I attended your Nail the Numbers boot camp. And that's when I was introduced to your magnificence with money. I was so blown away and just impressed by um, what an expert that you are on nailing the numbers and planning for profit. And that's something that everybody needs to get to sooner rather than later. I was so happy that you came into my life at the time that you did help me to remain in business still today. So I'm excited and happy to be interviewing you as the expert today. Well, I love it. Fast friends we became and uh, here we are today is all about pricing. And I love that you, you know, you talked about the profit piece because every single episode that we do here in Nail the Numbers, it is always, always about the impact on bottom line profit. Because really, at the end of the day, if we're not making profit, we're not going to be staying in business. To be in business, yeah. we need to be making money. And there's such a stigma attached to making money and profit. And I'm hoping that through COVID now, people are recognizing, right? Oh, it really is about bottom line. We need it's to make so sure. It's, yeah, it's funny that it's the most important thing, but it seems to be something that gets put on the back burner when you have all the other things to think about when it comes to bringing a business to life. Oh, those little distractions. Hey, <laughs> butterfly chasers that we all are yeah, as entrepreneurs. Yeah. It's oh. easy to find, easy to find distractions. Yeah. Okay. So today you're going to show us how to focus on actually creating a, a pricing strategy. Exactly. So pricing strategy, let's get right into that. So I have to, you know, if we're going to talk about the relevance of pricing on bottom line, because typically people will think about that as top line revenue driving, which it is, but where most business owners are losing their net profit, where they're hemorrhaging their profit is in their pricing strategy and it's in their cost of goods. And I'm going to speak to cost of goods a little later on. I think it's in our third episode, but this is why our pricing strategy is so, so important. And I don't know about you, Andrea, but I know the vast majority of business owners that I have worked with have picked their price based on what their competition is doing. It's so funny that you say that because I was making a few notes before this and I was thinking back to when I was writing my business plan and I run a coffee shop and I live in a very small town, talk about rural Saskatchewan. And I had absolutely no pricing strategy. My pricing strategy was to go into Tim Hortons and take a picture of their menu board and then think, now, what would I pay? <laughs> what would I pay for this? And that's what I made my price, if you can believe it or not, way back when, because I had absolutely no experience. But I didn't take into account that my business and Tim Hortons are completely different animals. You know, we have completely different quality of product, completely different wage and product costs, completely different business model even. But because our product was similar, I thought that was the best way to go. I didn't know better. Yeah. You're here to tell us how to do better. I'm here to tell you differently. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So a little caveat before I begin in pricing, though, is that I do want to say for all the restaurant owners out there and the coffee shop owners, um, when you're looking to price your food, we actually, in our first episode of the Gab Lab with Ron uh, Robichaud, he actually gave us all of the templates where we put in all of our food costs and our packaging costs and then we take all of those costs and we multiply it by 33.3%, which is what is going to give us our price. So it's not to say what I'm, go ahead, sorry. 
Yes, it's an amazing, super simple, when it comes down to simplifying how you strategize your price, you can't get easier and better than that. Yeah. So that's layer one. (laughs) And now you do. Now you do. Yes. It doesn't hurt to check in again, right? Because especially in the food business, we see rising increase in in costs all the time with cheese and with meat and with shipping. And so it's, it's, it's important to go back and and, uh, look at that every quarter or, you know, every half and not leave it for three years down the road. So everything I'm about to share with you, especially in this first segment still applies to restaurants. I just wanted to throw that out there that, you know, when it comes to your costs, that's a great uh, that's a great episode to actually check out because all the tools and templates are there. So now let's step back a little bit and I want to just talk about streamlining the offering because in my experience in working with entrepreneurs, we've got two buckets of entrepreneurs. We've got the entrepreneur that um, really just has they think they've got one product. I see this oftentimes with service-based entrepreneurs. They're like, oh, I just charge an hourly rate right? That's all I do. So I'm going to encourage those business owners to flesh that out a little bit more to think about, is it really hourly or what are you selling? Are you actually selling, um, um, family mitigation services? Are you helping families to actually go through a divorce or a separation through that process? Right? So what does that entire project actually look like instead of just hourly? The other bucket, and unfortunately, this is more often the case, is that entrepreneurs have a running list of anywhere from five to 250 products that they Mm want to sell. And the Mm -hmm. problem with that is that it becomes overwhelming to actually monitor, it becomes overwhelming to price, and quite honestly, it becomes overwhelming to the consumer, the client. Because when you give us too many options, we actually just walk away. It boggles our mind, especially through. Mm -hmm. So um, the first thing you're going to want to do is you're going to want to streamline your offering. So when somebody comes in, whether it's an investor or a customer, and they say, what are you selling? When I'm working with a client, I always want them to be able to list off their top three. What we sell is this. So maybe in a coffee shop, for example, you're saying we sell hot beverages, baked goods, and meals, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe Maybe in a retail example, we're selling women's formal, women's casual, and women's accessories, right? Instead of, well, we've got shirts and pants and belts and boots and t-shirts and shorts. And, you know, it, it just, it becomes too much. So really being able to streamline that and being able to articulate exactly what you sell in a concise way is extremely powerful. And compartmentalizing in that way breaks down, gets rid of that overwhelm. And that's a huge mental barrier when it comes mm. to just becoming paralyzed and not being able to move forward. Absolutely. And it, it certainly doesn't help with your pricing strategy because this is oftentimes where you're going to bleed pennies, right? Because there's just too much overwhelm and you can't get in and get really focused on that one specific price. So, you know, and even in services, those were examples of products, but services, for example, construction, right? You could potentially lump it into three buckets, small projects, medium buckets, or sorry, small projects, medium projects, and large projects, right? Small might be tiny repairs. Medium might be a, a, a kitchen reno. And large could be, a, you know, a total addition to a house. Yep. So really important to think along those lines. Now, um, what I do want to share is I've got a worksheet for everybody that is listening. And the worksheet is uh, really about um, uh, selecting your product mix. And so it's going to ask you to list down all of the different things that you sell. And then it's going to right beside, you're going to actually identify who your audience is. Is it business to business? Is it business to consumer? Or is it business to entrepreneur? And then it's going to ask you to identify the seasonality of that product or service, right? Is this something that sells in the summer, in the winter, in the fall, in the spring? Is there a small window? Like we think about house sales, right? All the house sales typically happen in the spring, although through COVID that just became a free for all and it's still happening. But typically there's seasonality that's attached. And then I also want you to look at year to date. And this is very specific for 2020 year to date. What have your sales been in these product categories, right? Because consumer behavior has definitely changed through COVID. 
which now leads us to the last column, which is relevant. So you're going to go through all of these products and you're going to be assigning, you know, and assessing each one of these categories. And then relevance is super key because right now through COVID, this is when we have an opportunity to show up powerfully for our community based on what their needs are. So the gift in COVID is that it's actually showing us that we really do need to provide solutions. We should have been providing solutions all along, but you know, our society was such that we were looking for quick fixes and you know, there was just so much noise and distraction and we were just buying anything that came along and now people are getting very selective with what they buy. So this is a great time for commodities, right? It's a great time for candles and soap and things that people use. It's a great time for anything to do with home repairs. It's a great time for anything to do with mental health and taking care of yourself. So actually just weigh in on the relevance of each one of these products or services right now. And again, we should be doing this every quarter, every half so that we can- And what all those- changes mean is that it's also a great time to pivot in your business, which is something that we talked about. you and I actually talked about at the beginning of COVID. It was like triage. It was like, okay, what needs to be done here? And it was apparent that because the economic climate is changing, business needs to change too. And that's where re-examining your pricing strategy comes into play. Yeah. The pricing strategy and your product suite right? So the product suite, AKA product mix, it's just what are these top revenue generators for you, right? It doesn't matter if you're a small business or a big business, you're going to have what's called profit centers where you're going to make the most amount of money. And all I'm asking you and the audience to do is to figure out what's most relevant right now, based on what people are needing. And this is why Blockbuster went out of business right? They didn't check in. They didn't do the weighted pricing model. They, is this still relevant or movies still relevant? Right? <laughs> so regardless of the pandemic, you should be doing this every year to make sure you're still hitting the mark. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Do you think, are we good then with kind of streamlining the product offering? Clear on that, how to pull that together, that product mix? Um. Is there anything more you wanted to go into? No, sorry. Okay, I'll just, we'll edit yeah, that out. Yeah, okay. I wasn't sure if we were editing, if that was part of our... Sorry, I threw that out. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. So... How do you... Maybe we should um, find a way to segue that into stretching the revenue model. That's what you want to go over next? It's okay. I'll, I'll bring it up. Okay. I'll bring it up. Okay. So we'll just do this. There we go. Okay. So once we've got the product mixed down, right, now we're actually going to look at revenue models. And I think a lot of people get confused with what is a revenue model. Can I put you on the spot for a minute? Yes, absolutely. So if someone were to ask you, what is your revenue model? What would you assume that question would mean? I would assume it would ask me to list my different income streams, my revenue streams. Yeah. Okay. Close. I remember getting asked this question. It was probably about 20 years ago. No. Yes. Oh my God. It's about 20 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Really, it was less than that. And it was a potential investor and we were actually out for dinner and he asked me this and, um, I thought the same thing. I'm like, well, we sell this and this and this. He's like, that, that's not what I'm asking you. I'm asking you what your revenue model is. This is why it always sticks with me. So yeah. the business model is, you know, what type of business are you? So proprietorship and corporation, what do you sell? Right. Here's the products that we offer. The revenue yeah. model is how you earn the money. How do you make money selling that product or service? So when people are asking you that, they're asking you to articulate, are you, um, so with product lines, it could be retail, could be e-commerce, right? It's transactional. With services, it could be fee for service, right? It could be, well, fee for service, and then you can start to bundle under that. It could just be hourly or it could be project-based. But they're asking mm-hmm. you to identify how that product or service actually gets out there in the market and how you capture that revenue in. 
So in this exercise, this is what I look for clients to be able to articulate. How are you making money from that product or service? So, so for example, just to clarify, for me as a coffee shop owner, what would my revenue model be then? What, what would you guess it would be? I would guess it would be um, in-person, com- people coming in, paying cash, cash and carry kind of a thing. Yeah, cash and carry, retail yeah. transactional, right? Absolutely. Yeah. That's it. Bang on. Um, so what is really, uh, again, advantageous to COVID is that it's forcing entrepreneurs to think outside of the box and look for ways that they can leverage their revenue model. So same product, same service, just applying different revenue models to it. So what's become really popular? Subscription models, right? Mm -hmm. Where instead of transactional, how can you get that transaction to kind of skew over multiple months so that you're getting consistent revenue and you're building that loyalty and front of mind service? So mm-hmm. it might be, uh, what could be some examples here? When it comes to products, what comes to mind right away are some of the beauty companies that are, they just send you a monthly bucket now, right? A monthly okay. basket of here's all your beauty products for the month. Um, you could potentially do this in coffee, right? Where you're sending, you're doing a monthly subscription to have their beans refilled, right? Like Actually, Yes, during COVID, we, well, you helped me out with this. We worked on this doing a bakery box type thing where we put together the coffee, your muffins, all, everything, and then that would go out every Sunday or once a week. There you go. So that's it. So we just need to find ways to create consistency with the income. And instead of waiting for the customer to come to us for that transaction, we find a way to go to them and we secure the income month over month over month. Perpetuate. Right? Absolutely. So we could do like a three-month subscription, a six-month, whatever you feel, even as piloting, you can do a smaller amount of time, right? Lower barrier of commitment. So that's a subscription-based model. We see it oftentimes with services, for sure. Um, Advertising is another very popular revenue model, but I will say that most of the time it's left for big business because you need to have thousands of people visiting your site to be able to, to warrant um, any sort of revenue generation option option there. Here's another one for people to think about affiliate an affiliate based revenue model. We hear a lot about affiliate uh, marketing and um, partnership marketing, right? All of those sorts of things, but it applies to small business as well. And so one of the examples I can think of, of off the top of my head is um, a photography business. So when you think about who it makes sense to actually build a strategic alliance with in photography, it might be, uh, it might be a makeup artist. It might be a framing company. And so now instead of just sending your clients off to say, you know, go find a makeup company and then come back to me with your face ready, right? You actually partner up with these individuals and then they give you a percentage of the revenue that's generated through that client. Right. With just strategic thinking that way. So that's called the affiliate, um, affiliate revenue model. There's a freemium revenue model, which is usually for tech-based businesses where you've got software as a, as a service and it, you know, you, it's a low barrier to entry because you offer a free app, right? But then once somebody gets in, then it's an in-app purchase right. model, yeah. right? That's an example there. And then here's a really cool one. Have you ever heard of the razor and blade revenue model? No, I haven't. So this is where you sell a low price tool but a high-priced commodity that people need to keep coming back for. This is what the people making printers are doing. <laughs> <laughs> this is it. It's, it started with, I won't name the brand of the company, but it started with the, the razor and blade model, where you yep. get the razor mm-hmm. for 99 cents, and now blades are, it's ridiculous, right? $75? Yeah. Like, yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. You're the printer business. Brilliant example. Yes. Printer and then $75 for cartridge. So that's yes. called the razor and blade revenue model. And if you can think of something where you've got a really low barrier to entry, so they buy the tool and then you can keep them coming back with that with that high ticket. 
commodity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Brilliant. those are <laughs> revenue models. So now at this point, we're able to address what it is that we're selling and how we're making money with it. And yes. so the last piece that I want everyone to think about, and I know we spent time talking about it, but hopefully really this doesn't take more than an hour to go through this whole process, right? I'm just kind of giving you the granular idea of how this works. So now the last thing I want you to consider is how can you optimize, how can you bundle, or how can you streamline the product or service? So you want, yes. you're going to want to do this for each product or service now. So optimization, really the objective is just securing that top line revenue. So one of the things I do want to point out, especially for those businesses that offer a service, but that um, can oftentimes come with a product. So for example, construction, where you're doing construction, but now you have to buy all of the material. I want you to think about either charging that deposit up front so that all your material costs are covered and that you won't be out of pocket. I can't tell you how many people I worked with at the beginning of COVID that had all of these receivables outstanding and they were out of pocket, all the material. So not only did they not make money, they lost the right. money because they had bought these things. So charge a deposit. The other thing that you can do for service-based businesses is what's called um, progress-based billing. So you, for each milestone that you accomplish in that service, you charge them an incremental rate. So rather than just a deposit and then the end balance, deposit, payment two, payment three, final payment, right? So, that so it's almost like insurance when, when it comes to... Exactly, exactly. Um, and then, you know, um, I'm trying to think of... Have, can you think of any other ways to optimize your revenue streams? I think those are really the big ones that I can, I can think of right now outside of bundling and splintering. Um, actually, I do have one more example, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bundle that into bundling. So, because <laughs> it layers on both. So in bundling, I think everyone's probably pretty familiar with bundling, right? This is where we're used to it with products, right? Instead of selling one, you now sell a pack of six or you go to Costco and they're selling 58 rolls of toilet paper, yeah. right? Instead of the four. So that's a good way to bundle product. We also see product being bundled with service, right? Where perhaps um, if you're doing facials, you're offering the facial and then you're bundling that with a moisturizer. So you know, you're, you're, you want to package the two of them. You don't just yeah. want to leave it to chance and you don't want to feel like you're trying to sell something at the end. Just offer the bundle up front. You come in for your facial while selling the moisturizer at the same time, but the whole package is X. We see this yeah. oftentimes at, at Christmas, right around the holidays where everything gets bundled. But mm -hmm. here's a really cool idea of optimization. And this again, kind of ties into your revenue streams. I have a client who does um, hair consultations for hair loss. So what she will do is formally before we went through this process, she said, well, my, um, my profit centers, I sell consultations and then I sell product. And so we said, well, why don't you bundle the consultation with the product? And then she went, okay, perfect. And then we said, why don't you actually offer a, I don't want to say a subscription, but turn it into a package. So if you know that your customer, if there's a specific outcome that they need to achieve, so coffee shop isn't the greatest example in this, but specifically with services, if we talk about a facial and they are looking for um, skin resurfacing, I, I don't know, I'm trying to think of something, and you know that on average it is going to take six sessions for that to happen, sell them six sessions, sell them the product and the service, but then bundled into six sessions or yeah, yeah. a subscription model for maintenance after, mm -hmm. right? So it completely changes the dynamic again of waiting for someone to come and do business with you to saying, here's what we're going to sell. You don't need to pay for it until you come in. But what we are going to do today is we're going to book every single one of your sessions. Right. So it's locked in. So that's, um, that's an example of bundling there. And then the last thing that I do want to share is uh, splintering. Have you had has splintering come up in any of your conversations? Yet, Andrea? No, I was actually, I was going to ask you about this because I, I understand optimize, I understand bundle, but 
Splinter seems like you're breaking it down, separating it, which seems counterintuitive. So explain that to me. There you go. Well, you you nailed it. And why we're doing that is um, it's come up a lot through COVID and it's a low barrier to entry. So what I'm seeing a lot of entrepreneurs do right now is discounting. They're like, well, you know, people's financial situations that some people are struggling, right? And so let's just discount, discount, discount. What I'm going to urge you to think about instead is to splinter. So how it's true is taking one, one product or service and trying to break that down. So it's the reverse of bundling. And the idea then is to offer a low barrier to entry to get people to buy in to you and your business for the first time so you can establish a relationship and then you exceed their expectations so that they continue to buy from you. So Mm -hmm. value of that customer is still going to be the same at the end, but because you've broken out, broken apart a product or service and been able to give them a small little nugget at the beginning, now you can build loyalty with that person. They come in because it's like, okay, this is, there's not much risk here. I can afford this. And then you, again, you, you over exceed on the, on the delivery side of things. So, so when you're considering that, then do you have to consider a certain customer base that you're targeting for that? Or always. is that just a broad base? No, always, offer? always know, always know your target audience. Always yeah. know who you're selling to, what their key frustrations are, what their problem is and how you're solving that problem. Because you're actually not selling the thing, you're actually selling a solution. Mm-hmm. And to sell a solution, so when you you're a so when you're considering doing a splinter, um, that is going to be for a certain customer base that you maybe hadn't been able to bring in before. So you're doing this specific offering, yes, for certain customers. I, ideal. I mean, if you need to go broad with it, you can. Right. But just think it through. And then whatever makes sense financially based on where you're at and where that customer base is at. So, for example, if um, if you're a bookkeeping business and you offer monthly bookkeeping services, right, very broad, very generic. Ideally, you start to segment who your ideal audience is. You know, I've got one client that works with only nonprofits. I've got another client that works with um, women's spa services. But let's say that you want to segment that, you want to splinter that out. One option could be that you offer a specific package that is, we organize your receipts. Bring us your 2020 receipts. We're going to organize it in the fine print. It's like maximum of four hours, right? But we're going to do all of that and the rate is $250. Or maybe it's a lower barrier to entry where you can do something for two hours um, or an hour and you're only charging $75. Right. Mm-hmm. So you make it you make it task specific with a, a price point. And that would obviously have a very specific audience, someone whose receipts are not organized. Right. Yeah. Almost every entrepreneur, but not not really. <laughs> right. And then that's when that's when when you get them on the splinter, then you can introduce the bundle. Exactly. And again, just knowing your audience and where they're at, because not everybody's in a tight financial situation right now. Right. Home builds are up. Home acquisitions are up. People are investing now than they more now than they ever have. We're very fragmented as a country right now. There's people in in economic turmoil and there's people, you know, reaping, reaping benefits right now off the market. So just know where your audience is sitting. Go in and solve their pain point. That's it. So right. That really is, it, it kind of brings us as a, a wrap to that first segment of know what you're selling, know, you know, how you're making money off of that. And um, before we move into pricing, find a way to either um, optimize it, to bundle it or to, uh, to splinter it out. And then we move over to the weighted pricing process. Exactly. Okay, welcome back. We're here with our expert for today for the Gab Lab, Tanya Woods-Richardson. So happy to have you here. And today we're talking about pricing that packs a punch and pricing strategies, which is something that entrepreneurs struggle with from the very beginning of building a business plan, even up until when you get your business rolling. It's something that you have to keep coming back to over and over again, because 
economy changes, our costs change, pricing strategy is something you can't just set and forget. you got to keep working at it. So we already covered your strategic selection in segment one, and now we're in segment two, and we're working on the weighted pricing process. Now explain to us what that means and why it's important. Um, all right. Well, weighted pricing process, this is exactly what it is that we're going to do. It's a process. It's a four-step process, super simple. So um, I'll run through the four steps, but don't worry, I'm going to go through all of them in detail. The first one is to, uh, to assess or to research the competition, know what it is that they're selling. Um, and let me just say, this has to be done for each product again. So when you're researching competition, don't research the competition based on your business, research the competition based on your product, right? So we're looking right. for competition based on product. So you're going to research the competition. Then you're actually going to define the criteria that the customer, the customer is using to decide whether or not to buy that product, not your criteria, their criteria. Um, and then the third uh, step is that you're going to actually score your product or service and then the fourth step is you're going to set your price. So that's the process. And why we do this is because, as we mentioned, you, you, you brought it up in the first episode. Usually business owners are basing their price on what the competition is doing and why that is. And why is that a bad idea? I remember, yes. I actually remember um, from the very first time I saw you at your Nail, Nail the Numbers boot camp, you were talking about this and you were talking about how it's so common for other entrepreneurs to just go based on what everybody else is charging when you have yeah. no idea what their overhead might be, what their product costs yes. are, what their wage costs are. But yet it's like, we think, well, if that's what the market is, if that's what they're charging, they must know better than I do. And you take that as, as law. So why is yeah. that so wrong? And how do we change that? Well, because uh, we've got a business failure rate. I, I mean, I'm not even going to talk about COVID because we just saw everybody like fall like flies in the first two weeks of COVID, right? Yeah. It just distress all over. And that's because businesses didn't have a net profit. They didn't have a net profit. Our failure rate was close to 90% before COVID over five years. 90% of businesses don't survive year five. And 71% of those failures are because of poor financial management. So if we've got the vast majority, in my experience, is 83% of businesses that are generating less than a 3% net profit, this is why businesses collapse because they don't have retained earnings to keep them alive through economic turmoil. And so now when we base our price on a company that has a net profit of less than 3%, this is where a whole community starts to fall. It's right. like the blind leading the blind, really. And the domino. <laughs> we're not doing the numbers. We're not doing the math. And, um, you know, I think, why do people do it? One, because it's easy, quite honestly. I think it's, a, it's yeah. an easy thing to do. Let me just go see what the competition is charging. That must be what the market demand is. But from a, a neuroscience perspective, when we start looking at behavioral finance, I actually think that it avoids us from doing the uncomfortable work, which is actually charging what the product is worth. And that's where we get into the psychology, the psychology behind money and pricing, which is so yes. mind-blowing. Yeah, yeah. There's one of those mic drops, right? So in my experience in working with women entrepreneurs, 87% of women entrepreneurs skew money martyr. So there's a money type quiz that I'll put the, I'll put it in the show notes below, but uh, a money type quiz that, you know, you invest five minutes of your time and it's going to show you what money types are coming up in your life, in your business that are sabotaging your success. So what martyrdom has to do on pricing is that usually everyone else comes first, make the customer happy, make the supplier happy, make sure the, uh, the, the, the staff are happy. Everyone else comes first, we'll come last. So that usually affects our pricing strategy. It affects whether or not we pay ourselves, right, as, right. as entrepreneurs in the business. So I mentioned that just as a, a, a note to, you know, to take the money type quiz if, if this is you. So this is why we actually do the weighted pricing process, because 
for the first time, you're actually able to clearly see the value of the product or service that you're offering. And then the uncomfortable part is actually charging what the value actually is, what it's worth. So yeah. It's, and you know, sometimes too, in, in, you know, coffee shops, when we start looking at baked goods and, and lattes, right. Again, it's easier just to go with the competition, but especially inputs on coffee, right. The coffee beans and the milk and all those commodities go up and down and the labor that goes in and the whip. Well, this is exactly, this is what, this is where I went so wrong at the beginning. Talk about six years ago and I was building my business plan. And I mentioned earlier that my pricing strategy was to go into other coffee shops and basically just take a screenshot, take a picture of what they were charging. And I was yeah. like, well, that's what they're charging. That's what I should charge. But I guarantee you that my costs are a lot different than Tim Hortons. My beans are a lot different than Tim Hortons. My wages, everything, everything is different. So why would I charge the same? Yeah, because I didn't want to do the uncomfortable work of actually figuring out the value of the product that I would be offering. Brilliant. That's it. Exactly, Andrea. So everybody listening, definitely, you know, hear that, hear that, that honesty that Andrea's just shared with you, because this is where <laughs> so many business owners get stuck. So let's look at step one. You're, you're going to have to just research the competition and the product that they're selling, not the business, right? The, the competition. So um, before I forget, if you check on the show notes below, again, there's another worksheet and you're going to use this worksheet for the entire four-step process. So one worksheet per product or service. And you're going to see that right on it, it's going to say step number one, research your competition. You put the company name, you put the product that you're actually looking at. You're going to do an assessment of its strengths and weaknesses right? Like what is it really great at? What doesn't it do so well? And if you can features and benefits, right? It's got all these bells and whistles. So you kind of know what's happening there. And then the last piece is that you, you put the price. So what is the, what is the price that that competitor is charging for that, uh, for that product or service? And then just a note on pricing is you want to make sure that you're comparing apples with apples. So you know, if you're deciding that you're going to go with a price that's based on an hourly rate, use hourly for all of it and then use hourly for your service. If it's a product, are they selling one or is it a multiple of six, right? So maybe just, you know, doing a division and saying unit cost per product is this. So I'm just going to throw that out as a little caveat because you want to make sure that you're weighing all of these units equally, right? Apples mm -hmm. to apples, oranges to right. oranges. So weighing the competition, pretty straightforward. And I would suspect it's probably very easy for everyone to do because that's probably where they've already gotten their price. <laughs> so, I don't see this being too labor intensive. <laughs> okay. Now this is where we have to screw our head on a little differently because now we actually have to define the criteria. So Andrew, if it's okay with you, I'm going to share my screen because I want to this one, everyone needs to wrap their head around and it, uh, it's a little different. So um, I wonder if I can, no, I'm not going to do this right now because it's just going to confuse the, the issue. So here's what I want to talk about is when you're choosing your criteria, this again is going to be how the customer, what the customer is asking themselves to decide whether or not to buy this product or service. Right. So what are the what are the top questions? Now, I wouldn't pick more than six. And what I do want to state here is that everyone should have different criteria. I'm actually going to go through some examples here, but these examples won't fit every single product or service. So you have to think through this. If if you have to recruit a friend, recruit, uh, recruit a client to ask them what they went through. But here in this step, I'm going to uh, what am I going to suggest? I'm actually going to take a look at. Um, environmental consulting, because this was actually what this uh, example was built on. So let's say we, we've got someone out there that's doing environmental consulting, and they're trying to figure out this criteria. Examples of criteria in a service-based business might be soft skills. Soft skills are people skills, project management skills. How great are they at the team leadership, right? And bringing together a whole bunch of experts to deliver a specific product or service. Mm -hmm. Hard skills might be technical expertise. 
So if you're a mediator, right, how many years have you been doing it? If you're an environmental consultant, how many years have you been doing it? What are your degrees? What are your diplomas? What are your accolades, right? Putting all of that together. Industry experience, how many years have you actually been delivering this service? Putting that out there. Brand promise, this is basically, um, and yeah, I'm going to use this as an example. I'm trying to think about brand names right now, but are you a dollar store or are you a Holt Renfrew? Hopefully everybody knows what a Holt Renfrew is. It's kind of like our premium, you know, department store outlet, like Nordstrom's, Saks Fifth Avenue, right? It's like top of the line or dollar store. Where does your brand fit? And it's not to say that one is bad and one is good, right? But dollar store, low value, but high quantity, right? And people will go in there and they'll drop $150 on garbage that they won't see for another year, right? And 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 the interesting thing is that's their brand promise and they deliver on it. Exactly, exactly. So understanding what that looks like. And then the unique offering. I also call this noise. So how much competition is there out there, right? In environmental services, there's probably not a ton. I bet you it's growing, right? When I first started this seven years ago, there were not a lot of environmental consultants, but that noise definitely is growing. And every year, this is why you want to come back to it, because the more fires we have, the more floods, the more hurricanes, the more tornadoes, right? The more 40 minus 45 and plus 42, people are going to start waking up, but more noise is going to happen as well. Mm -hmm. And then to that point is this, this other point here, which is pain point. So do you remember we were talking about solutions in the first segment? This is where this comes in. Are you a Band-Aid to a scratch or are you saving a life? Yeah. Right? So the, the, the second step in this is to figure out what questions are they asking. In um, I'm going to turn this off for a minute. Bear with me here. Um, in a product-based business, as an example, they would be very different questions. It might be the quality of the ingredients being used in your lattes. Right. right. The quality yeah. of ingredients being used in a soap product or a candle, right? How, yeah. how good are they? Where are they sourced from? The um, speed on which we can deliver the product. They're yes. Little, yeah. That, well, yeah. So that's another point, right? That would be another point. Accessibility. So yeah. can I get it now or do I have to wait a month? Right. Yeah. Is it in stock or not? That's probably another piece with product. Um, this one is interesting because, um, brand reputation, right? So brand promise again, are you a dollar store? Are you uh, a whole Renfrew? But I am going to mention this right here and it's interesting. I'm going to ask you, Andrea, actually, cause I know we, at one point were talking about cakes and baked yeah. goods and then being able to deliver those to markets outside of your rural community. Yes. Yeah. Do you feel because you're a rural business, you should be charging less? Or more did that ever kind of factor in that's really interesting because it's it's kind of that psychological warp there because because we were we are out here it costs more to get product here it costs more to get your product out it you have a smaller customer base so you have to factor in all that but because we're a small town and you know everybody it's like you feel guilty almost there's that guilt and martyrdom coming back you feel guilty charging what it's worth because it's like well it's not their fault that we live way way out here you know you have to factor in all all of these things as a rural entrepreneur and add that into your price as well yeah oh we could be on this topic for a long time because there's so many facets to it so there's a couple things if you're really uncomfortable charging a a larger or higher price right for your community your community potentially they could come into the shop and then buy what they need to buy right at the price that you're comfortable charging them for it but definitely factor in your costs you cannot do the martyrdom thing you cannot be out of pocket you need to price based on its value took me a few years to learn that (laughs) yeah and it's uncomfortable right it's on and just so you know, like when you start doing the uncomfortable work, this is when you know that you're actually starting to rewire your programming and your mindset. And that's the gift in discomfort. So for anybody who's curious out there listening, that is the, that is the, the bonus in that. But here's what I find fascinating. So I have a client, I won't use their name, but they sell maple syrup. And what is, 
this is just a different perspective because every single coin has two sides. So in Quebec, their rural communities are called townships and they have this prestige to being in a township, right? Or a little hamlet here in Saskatchewan, there's a prestige. And what they have been able to do is they have been able to market based on the prestige of being in a township. So what they've done is that this company is actually based in the township of this, right? And they've got this amazing packaging that really just speaks to, um, it's just, it's, they're the whole Renfrew of maple syrup. But for their bottle, they charge $25, where their competition, you go into Loblaws and it's $9.99. It's, it, now they factor in, in all of their costs. But what I'm really trying to stress here is that rule can actually be an advantage. It can have a prestige and a cachet to it. Sometimes when you're in the middle of it, you don't see it like that. But look for the silver lining in all of that, which can then influence the price. Does that make sense? Yes, it does make sense. And it's all about changing the perspective. Yes. Yes. Get outside of your bubble. Um, (laughs) So other criteria, again, noise and market, even with products, right? Are there a thousand coffee shops out there or are there two, right? How it's, how much competition is actually out there. And then again, always the pain point, especially in COVID. Is this a scratch or is this life-saving, right? Because people want you to show up powerfully and this is where we have the opportunity to do it. And, you know, I'm going to speak to here before I move on to price theory. I'm going to give you one more example because I want to show you how different criteria can be. So um, I have a, a client that has a children's entertainment center. And it's, it's like one of those big, you know, huge square footage, whatever it is. I think it's 20,000 square feet. And their criteria really didn't fit anything that we talked about. What they ended up going with and how they did this is that they pulled their customers What's most important to you, right? Yeah. Give us your top three. So they found out what was most important and then they put all of that list together and then they sent out a second poll and they asked their customers to score them on a score of one out of five, which will oh, okay. a second step. But what their criteria ended up being safety and security, cleanliness, the cool factor, cool and fun, diversity of offerings, including food and concession and convenience. So you can see that, you know, this criteria, I don't want people to get stuck because in the playbook, you can download the playbook below. It's going to say, here's sample criteria for services, here's sample criteria for products. I don't want you to get stuck doing the easy stuff and just saying, well, I'm just going to use the samples that Tanya gave us, right? Think it through because otherwise you won't be scoring your product or service properly. Exactly. And that's where we talk about having a different perspective you don't know what you don't know and you can't just build it and they will come. You have to actually do the work and figure out who you're selling things to. And that's genius. I love that because who better than to tell you if you're hitting the bar than the people you want coming in. Yes, exactly. Beautiful. Yeah. That's your, that's your Intel right there, right? You've got a gold mine. Use it. Use that Intel. Okay, I am going to, um, sorry, Andrea, I'm going to share my screen again, just for this last piece, which is now, now you have to score yourself. So again, if, if you can, I would recruit team members, maybe not family, but team members, clients, a partner in business, someone who's objective, right? Otherwise, there's, oh, you're great at everything you do. No room for improvement. And all you're going to do is you're going to score yourself one out of five right? On each product or service. So one is weak and five is strong. And in this example, you'll see here soft skills. This individual said, well, not really great with people skills. So I'm going to give myself a three hard skills, the the technical skills, like the knowledge behind it, very strong. They gave themselves a four industry experience. They gave themselves a four. They've been in it for 25 years. They had, you know, witnessed a a plethora of, of different issues and challenges. Um, brand promise, they gave themselves a five because they were promising the world, right? We are going to give you everything. And a lot of customers, a lot of, sorry, not customers, a lot of business owners will say this, won't they? We're the best at what they do. We're the best at what we do. Best service, best delivery, best price, best, best, best. And then they come in and they're like, we're three here, we're two here. So incongruent. That's why I love the idea of what you mentioned of getting your customers or your potential customers to actually answer that question. Because 
we're never fully um, objective on ourselves. Never. <laughs> yes. And I won't get into genders here, but some genders <laughs> tend to, uh, tend to um, not give themselves enough credit. And sometimes other people will give themselves way too much credit. Exactly. Right? So exactly. It's always good to have an objective opinion here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you can see in the unique offering, they scored themselves a four because there wasn't a lot of competition in environmental services at this stage. And then pain point, this is interesting because at the time we did this, it was three. There wasn't, people were like, well, you know, is, is, um, is, is global warming actually even a thing? You know, are we in the middle of a crisis? Ah, I don't think so. Yeah. I think this year you probably find a lot more people thinking we better get on to this, right? Yeah. Like, so every year the pain point goes up. So this is why you kind of want to take a look at this each year to go, are we still at these numbers or do we adjust our price? Well, okay. and talk about adjusting. That's what you talk about is so important is to factor this in seasonally too, to not just set it and forget yes. it because yes. the pain point is something that also changes seasonally for a lot of products and services. Brilliant. Absolutely, Andrea. Absolutely. You bet. Okay, so now the second part of this scoring piece is that now once you have scored yourself, right, we've got to actually get your tally. So very easy, and it's in the playbook, the notes, step-by-step how to do it, but you're going to add up all of your scores. You can see if we add these all up, we get a 23. You take your 23, you divide it by 6, equals a 4. Now what we have to do is we go back up to the competition, and we say on the low end of the spectrum, the lowest price that a competitor was charging was 25 and the highest price was 125. And then you're going to break that down for each one of these markers, marker one, two, three, four, five. Again, all the instructions are in the playbook. So I'm not going to go through and explain that, but it's very easy. You add, add, and divide by two, add, add, and divide by two. And then you set your price, right? It's if you know you're a four, and if the marker for four is a hundred bucks, in this case, this is an hourly rate, this individual should be charging a hundred dollars for environmental services. And Andrea, when I do this, I'm going to turn this off now. Every time, not once, well, maybe, yeah, there actually was one or two times, but every time I do that exercise with a client, they have always been under charging, always. Usually yeah, that doesn't surprise me. So I'm I'm curious, Andrew. We're talking about custom cakes, right? And we're talking about um, undervaluing our product and our service. And then I know that you, you know, with custom cakes, this is something that you experienced when you were going out there. Yes, actually, because I opened my business as a cake shop originally, and the funny thing is, is that over time. I was becoming completely burnt out because I was undercharging for my product and basing that charge based on what I thought other people would pay and then getting mad and getting frustrated and overwhelmed that I couldn't make enough money to make it worth it when that was the price I was actually giving. There, I had actually a lot of customers that were begging me after I quit doing cakes, I'll give you anything. I'll pay you whatever whatever you need to make this cake for me. But by that time, I completely burnt myself out and overwhelmed yeah. myself because I had for so long been doing a job undercharging for it that it it made me resentful and made me want to quit doing it. So my cake shop turned into a coffee shop because for all those years, I had been undercharging, at my, which was my own fault. I had customers willing to pay, but because I was undervaluing myself and what putting myself into the minds of my customers when I really didn't know, had I done market research, had I done a poll, had I done a survey, I might have found that I actually could charge more for my services because I was assuming I ended up completely burning myself out and stopping doing the cakes as a whole just because I was undercharging for my services the whole time. Yeah, I, you know, I think that's such an important point, because I think that, you know, we come from this perspective of, oh, you know, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to charge, um, either because we're not seeing the value or because we don't want to make it tough on the customer, 
right? Yeah. Sometimes there's two, two coins there. And unfortunately, what happens is that we compromise ourselves, not just because of the price, but our bottom line is impacted. And then we're compromising the business, we're compromising our financial security at home. And then obviously, that then trickles down into compromising our employees and compromising the customer, because we won't stay in business. And this is, you know, this is exactly what you're talking about experiencing, you get burnt out, and yeah. it, 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 it fizzles out. So pricing, 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 so, so key. And we're going to talk about this in the next episode. But the, the value of what comes out of this exercise is immense because now you see the, the price that you need to be charging, but you're able to defend why it is that price, right? If you That's have. the most important thing is being able to actually validate your own value. Yeah. 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 Well, yes. And you just, you know, you bring up, oh, I, I just, I wanted to catch that word because, and I do this too. We see our offering as an extension of ourselves, especially yeah. when we're solo entrepreneurs and just starting out and your language there around um, calculating or uh, sharing your value, right? It's, it's not, not my, us. it's not my value. It's the value of the product or it's service. The product. But as entrepreneurs, I as I think this is sometimes, like you said, martyrdom of a female thing, like we tend I to do this a lot too. Get it. Yeah. Tie ourselves up in identity of the business, identity of the product, and, and unable to separate the two. Yeah. Well, you nailed it there. And so I think, you know, please, everybody listening, go down below, download the playbook, download the worksheets get this exercise done. The key takeaway from this one is, again, you're going to be able to set your price. So the four-step process, know your competition, understand the criteria based on what's going on in the, in, the, in the client's head when it comes to making the decision, score yourself objectively, and now set the price. You're going to see it on the scale. Join us for the next episode because the next episode, I want to show you how to reap the rewards of this. There's, there's a lot of rewards in this process, but I also want to talk to you about cost of goods. We're not going it into it into detail, but um, it's definitely an important conversation that we need to have before you set this price. Okay, welcome back. We are on segment three. We're back with our Nail the Numbers Pro, Tanya Woods Richardson. Okay, so you've walked us through pricing strategies. So we've figured out what we're actually offering, how to um, price it based on our products and services. And now we're moving into number three, reaping the rewards. So we're figuring out what is the hidden value and actually the work that we've done up until now. Yes, that is, uh, that's bang on exactly what we're going to be doing in this segment. So it's really just a carry through of what we talked about in the last one, right? I want you to see the value. I want you to, to, to find the gold in the exercise that you just did. So we left off with um, understanding. In the last episode, we talked a little bit about you now being able to defend the price, right? So if we take that environmental consultant that was charging $50 an hour, and now we see that on a scale of one to five, if they landed at four, they should be charging $100 an hour. They're able to go back and, and to defend it instead of them just saying, no, no, I'm worth 100, right? It's like, well, because of this and this and this and this. So what is so key with that, and you'll find this in the, um, in the worksheet as well. So in that weighted pricing process worksheet, it's going to ask you to identify key messages. So when you're actually looking at the criteria and you're scoring yourself, so for example, um, if we look at the, um, the, the Kids Entertainment Center, right, and we said safety and security was a primary uh, um, concern for their customer, and then they come back and they score themselves a four, then I ask them, well, why are you a four? And then they have to think about why am I a four? And then it's like, well, because we have regular routine checks. It's because we've got the sanitizers out. It's because we clean on the hour. It's because uh, we, we have a, a technology system that matches the parent with the child. So they have all of this rationale that defends that score. Mm -hmm. That rationale 
So now it's not arbitrary of, I don't know, I just picked a four out of the sky. You've got key messages that will be able to defend, objectively defend the price. And so what's so important in that too, is that because you chose the criteria based on what the customer was actually thinking about, what they were asking themselves, these key messages become your marketing message. Exactly. Yes. Right? You've done, it's like, a, a, I don't want to say double-edged sword, but you've multitasked. You've multitasked as an entrepreneur. So yeah. now it informs your marketing because you know what solution you're already solving for them. So this mm-hmm. is where all of that blends in, which is huge. So A, you're able to defend the price. B, it's going to inform your marketing messages which is, you know, obviously extremely valuable because now you can lead them through, uh, lead them through that pipeline. But what else is really interesting here, and this is the third benefit, the value added benefit, is that when you're going through this, and hopefully um, everyone watching is going to be doing financial budgets and projecting into 2021, right? Not leaving it to chance and doing a cash flow, a business budget, aka that's what it is. If in this budget you feel like you are not hitting the mark with your bottom line profitability number, it's not strong enough, and you realize that you have to increase your price somehow, what would be your, well, this is a loaded question, so I'm, I'm going to answer this, Andrea. Sorry, I don't want to put you on the spot again. <laughs> um, if you knew you needed to increase your price, what, how you can actually defend an increase in price is going and increasing one of your scores by adding supplementary value to that area. So for example, if we go back to, um, if we go back to the engineering firm that scored themselves a three on soft skills, what they could do is they could hire a subcontractor that is a rock star in soft skills. And now that boosts them up to a five. Right. And they bundle that in that price, which now they get to charge whatever that is, 125 to 150. So you know where you need to increase your value, right? By increasing your score and still validating your, you're validating your raise and price. Yes, absolutely. So those are the, those are the three hidden benefits in actually, in, in actually doing that weighted pricing process. So I just want to close off with a couple of really important tips for everybody. And one of them is this, you need to adjust your prices every year by at least 2%. Have you ever noticed, we were talking about Tim Hortons, I hate to throw brands out there, but um, have you ever noticed when they adjust their coffee, we know when it goes from 183 to 187, right? We're like, what? That's four cents. They're adjusting every year for the cost of inflation. Yeah. Right. If you don't adjust every year in five years, you're going to be 10% down. That's 10% that's coming off of your net profit. Mm-hmm. If you increase your price by 2%, that 2% goes onto your bottom line. So I just, I really want people to hear that, to get into that zone of just making sure that becomes a habit. The other thing that I want you to account for, which is going to dovetail into cost of goods, but I know not everyone's going to do a cost of good exercise right now with pricing because it can be labor intensive. So here's what I want people to take away from this. When you charge a client, most of you, most of your clients are going to be using credit cards. Credit cards come with stiff fees attached to you as the merchant, right? The credit card has a a fee of anywhere from 1.79 to 2.2. Five zero, depending on the card that's being used. The processor is going to have a fee of anywhere from 2.5 to 3.5%. And then there also might be a transaction fee on top of all of that. We could be paying anywhere from 5 to 6% on a merchant fee that is attached to that product or being sold. You have to bundle that into the price. Yeah. You can't be out of pocket for that. Most people yeah. put that into operating, and this is where a lot of businesses lose their, uh, lose their profit. So just on a a wrap up is really, we've talked about setting the price, but please, if you can go through the exercise of understanding all of your costs of goods attached to selling that product or service. 
You're going to want to understand all the material being used and get granular with this. You want to understand all of the inputs. Inputs include duties, um, exchange rates, merchant fees, delivery, shipping to you, right? Storage if it's coming to you and it yet needs to be held somewhere, right? Those are inputs. And then labor. So labor calculating how much time it takes to, to make the latte. Because a lot of owners will, well, I'm doing everything, so I won't charge. But if you want to build a solid business model that can scale, we have to make sure we're charging a price that would allow us to hire someone to offer yes. that after service. Right? Absolutely. So yeah. you know me, Andrea, I could go on for like 2.5 hours on cost. <laughs> I won't. Um, but, but there you have it. That's, that's really the weighted pricing model. It's in, and the objective of all of this, you know, gave you a lot of meat. There's a lot of meat on the bone here. Start with episode one, where just list all of your products and services and find your top three mm-hmm. and then apply the weighted pricing process to it. It won't take you more than, than two to three hours to go through this, Right. Um, once you get it done for one product, the others will be a lot faster, but this could be the difference between making it or breaking it in business through, through. Absolutely. As with anything, it's better to do the uncomfortable work at the beginning. It's kind of like choose your hard and you don't want to learn the hard way. (laughs) So what you've done is broken everything down into manageable strategy which is exactly what entrepreneurs need now more than ever. Yes. So thank you so much, Tanya. Oh, my pleasure. And Andrew, you, you just, you nailed it. You don't get away from discomfort. You can't avoid it. So either yeah. do it now or you pay the price later and it just becomes yeah. more uncomfortable. So go and rock your numbers, founders. Become financially fierce. Just do it. We've got your back in this. Download the playbook, download all the worksheets and um, just a huge shout out again for all the the love and support from um, our friends over at Community Futures Parkland. They're a phenomenal team. Please reach out to them. They are there. They have your backs through this um, and we really are in this together. So thank you for watching and we will catch you for the next episode of The Gap. Bye for now, everyone.